0: You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson.
1: What's up, guys? It's Matt Wilson coming to you with another episode of the Live Different Podcast, this time with Corin Segura. She is from my Chemical Free House blog, and she is a building biologist. We talk about how to avoid mold, flame retardants, BOCs, hidden toxins, that I have done my very best, committed my life to avoiding these things. That's how much I believe in its importance and I wanna pass on those things to you in this amazing one hour episode. Yeah, We talk about molds and plastics and flame retardants, polyurethane, how to buy the best car, that doesn't have these things. right? Hint, maybe buy a used car where these things have already off-gassed. If you don't know what off-gassing is, that's okay. We get into it in the episode. And um, how to just make your air quality in your home a sanctuary, how to air it out. Because look, the air inside your home can be more toxic than the air outside. I know it's mind-blowing. Yeah, we talk about so many of these things in this episode, and I'm just So excited to get this information out to you because I'm incredibly passionate about it and I know that it will make a difference in your life and your family's life. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode. You can get all the show notes on mattwilson.co. Sit back, relax for another episode of the Live Different Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we're here with Corinne Segura. She is a building biologist who had extreme chemical and mold sensitivities when she first set out to build her chemical-free tiny house. And the research and testing of those materials is what sparked the creation of her blog, the Chemical-Free Home Blog. And I'm really excited to talk to her today. Uh, As most of my listeners know by now, I've been going through a little bit of a life transition from Costa Rica up here to Austin, Texas. And uh, I will be soon having a baby girl. So we're very excited about that. And uh, as everybody listening probably already knows, I pay a whole lot of attention to my own personal health and wellness. And now that I'm going to have a family, well, it's uh, even more important for me to hone in on these things and when you're trying to make the right decisions in your everyday life and you start Googling these things, it can be incredibly overwhelming. I'm talking from what paints you should use to the carpets that we redid in our new place to, oh, I need to buy a pan. Oh, geez, I shouldn't buy Teflon. What should I buy? And you can just go down hours and hours of rabbit holes and uh, see forums and people debating each other back and forth, conspiracy theories, all sorts of fun stuff. So instead of that, I have brought on an expert here. And uh, Karina, I'm so happy to talk to you today. Welcome.
0: Hi, Matt. Thanks so much.
1: No, you're, you're very welcome. And uh, I would love to really just start with your story and, and hear how you became such a wealth of knowledge uh, on this topic.
0: Yeah, I mean it started of course with necessity, the building of a house that would be safe for me who had become I had a really big mold exposure, of course it, it you know it was a really harmful to my health. And then from there, a lot of people that have had a mold exposure also get really really sensitive to chemicals. And then there are very few housing options when you're sensitive to everything from Cleaning products to off offgassing mold. Um, so building a tiny house seemed seemed like the best option for me at that time, and I had to research. And you know, the internet like was newer at the time; there weren't really blogs on this. And then I started writing the blog, my chemical free house, because this wasn't on the internet. And I just thought, wow, that's interesting. I should share it. I wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna make a career or something. And so that that was sort of an something I found you know a little bit surprising actually that you couldn't google some of that stuff at the time but you know i read books and i and i built the house and that's how this started
1: wow and so you decided to build a tiny house before let's just hand you the credit right now before tiny houses were cool before there were tons of tv shows on them
0: yeah, it was pretty new. And that that was another challenge, too, because there wasn't all that wealth of information, even just on, you know, the basics of tiny houses. And, you know, that is an interesting thing to do. It's also difficult to be the, um, do something that's a prototype, because, you know, that house failed. I mean, you know, after that, I became a building biologist, and now I'm studying more building science related, too, because there's a lot to know to, to build something right. And the tiny house, most tiny houses are, are not being built super well, so...
1: Wow. And and what, what can fail about a tiny house?
0: A lot of things. I mean, you're putting a house on a, you know, basically, you know, exposing it to a a hurricane and an earthquake constantly because of the movement. And people are a lot of beginners are are thinking that it's easy just because it's small, but just because it's small doesn't mean that it doesn't need those same details that are going to keep something from going moldy.
1: Wow. Okay. So, so you wanted to build something that was a bit of a sanctuary for yourself and why did you pick a tiny house?
0: Yeah, because of the, you know, size and cost seemed like a good idea, mobility seemed like a good idea. There's lots of pluses to it, of course, right? And it did, you know, it did get me a lot better. It did give me that stepping stone. Of course, I wish you know, the builder had done a better job and it had lasted longer. And now, you know, I, that's also why I'm pretty passionate still with tiny houses and helping people because it's like, I don't want you to build something that's going to last two or three years and then go moldy. Like, that's not a good investment. Tiny houses already aren't a good investment. <laughs> You've seen how they depreciate. But, right. you know, if you're making an investment into your health, then build something thing that's going to be last, going to last.
1: Yeah. Right. And, and actually, so... I think that's a great point that we should we should highlight for people who are really interested in this whole tiny house movement. Yeah, you know, I uh, I'm not gonna lie, I thought about it. I'm a perfect candidate for a tiny house, and it was actually my fiance's idea because she fell in love with one of these TV shows. But we've yeah. we've been nomads for the last seven years, five, four or five years at least that we've been together. And so we have very few personal possessions. We're we're fairly minimalist at heart. Uh, I have four pairs of shoes. She has a lot more than four pairs of shoes, but you know, it's something we like the idea of being mobile and that you can Mm -hmm. put it anywhere. But I do want to highlight for people that if it has wheels or if it's not a fixed structure to the property, you're really what you're buying is an RV, a recreational vehicle, and vehicles depreciate. They go down in value. Where if you buy a fixed structure or even place a tiny home on, on a exactly yeah. on a foundation, then yes, you get taxed on it, right? Because uh-huh. it is a home now. And so you have to pay your property taxes. When I looked into it in Austin, there was. It was probably a loophole somewhere where it was like all the tiny houses uh, were like four hundred and ninety eight or four hundred and ninety nine square feet, and I, I'm almost sure that five hundred was probably the cutoff yeah. for it to be an RV. So just want to highlight that for people before they they make a bad investment. But what I do want, and not that this can't work out financially for people, mm-hmm. although that's a, a whole different topic, but I'd like to go back to mold because it's uh, kind of a hot topic yeah. right now as well. I-, I think people like Dave Asprey have definitely helped popularize, Yeah, you know, he came out with the documentary, the moldy movie that we can link to on uh, in the show notes. But could you talk to people what mold exposure is like and how they might feel like oh geez maybe i've been exposed to some mold
0: yeah i mean it's really common in the types of buildings in north in you know canada and the u.s the way especially buildings that are going up right now are really not very good in their in their quality like if you're watching just these really quick builds and there's a lack of labor force in construction, So there's a lot of different factors that are going into this. And then, of course, of course, older houses, even if they were built well, they've had this time where things have gone wrong and maybe leaks have happened. And looking for mold in your house is, is not a bad idea, like having an, a really good inspection, um, especially if you have symptoms. Um, and those can be really, really broad. But, um, you know, I wouldn't want to necessarily list them all. But if you're just suspecting like something's a little off, And one thing, like my the paradigm that I subscribe to is to go away from your house, maybe ideally camping if you're able to go camping, limited you know items, and come back to your house and see if there's any difference. Especially if you're having symptoms, and even if you're not having symptoms, you know I think it is a good idea to have an inspection, have it looked at because it it's one of the like we say master toxins because it's not all toxins are equal, and I think that is something that's that people are having a hard time sifting through with all the blogs now, like now there are a lot of blogs. Like I was saying, there weren't that many in the beginning. Now there are lots of, especially parenting blogs that are focusing on toxins. And you're like, okay, I got to avoid this, 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 what do I do? And you know, if you're overwhelmed, like start with the big ones and mold is one of the big ones. It's not the only big one, like flame retardants. And, and I would say even pesticides can fall into one of the big ones. So yeah, that, that's one of the first things to look at before you you know get overwhelmed with, with details too.
1: That's great. Um, and, and if somebody is, let's say, moving into a new apartment or especially if they are going to purchase a home, yeah, I paid extra for the home inspector to do a certain test and I can't remember the name of the test uh, off the top of my head, But I'm wondering what you would suggest so that people don't compromise their health and they can Mm -hmm. make this huge financial decision, but do the best thing for their health. So how, how would you go about testing?
0: Yeah. So it's interesting because people often ask me that, but I've personally never done run a mold test for myself ever. And I've never recommended one for a client. Of course, if they send me a mold test, I'll look at it and I'll take it into the whole picture. But because they're so inaccurate they can be helpful especially if it shows up really bad if it's really bad it's unlikely that that was just a fluke so you know if you find something really bad and if it's in your budget to do a mold test go ahead and do a mold test but um I prefer an inspection from someone from, I like Cheryl Seco. I don't get any kind of referral, you know, kickback. I really like Cheryl Seco because she's really good and she does virtual inspections and she can work with the person who's there in person because you're really looking for building defects. You want to find the defects. You don't want to just have a test and then be like, okay, well, what does that tell me? Is it behind the shower? Is it behind the window? Is it in the roof? Uh, Again, if the test is really comes out, you know, super bad, you may just want to walk away. But most houses have defects, you know, ninety to ninety nine percent. Like mo- almost all houses have some defects, so you want to find those. So you want to know what what you're doing on with maintenance on the house, or maybe even fixing it right away if it's a really bad one.
1: Okay, so when I did my mold test, it was with the home inspector and I had, I had yeah. looked it up and I don't know, it was maybe $300, but before making your the yeah. biggest purchase of your life, probably a good $300 to spend. And it actually came back a little bit high, but, you know, like two or three times what it was outside, not like through the roof sky high. And yeah. he looked around and he had a, a measurement where he could measure the wall, the dampness of the walls and he said this place is bone dry it's been built in you know the last 10 years which still i understand can have quite a lot of defects but i think it might have just been the washing machine with a little like a moldy gasket mm-hmm. Um, i'm not really sure but ended up buying the place nothing's come out of it have have had ac and heater Text in to visibly inspect, at least. And we've had no no problems. But uh, I think it's really important for people to, to be able to do that. So that Cheryl, who you mentioned, I'd also, if you could pass me the link
0: mm-hmm.
1: for her, I'd like to look her up. And I'll, uh, for everybody, again, I'll look up all the stuff, put it in the show notes at mattwilson.co uh, for the show notes for this. So yeah, thank you for that. But... Now there's it's certain types of mold as well that can be really so not all mold is created equal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What exactly are we worried about when you're talking about mold?
0: Mm-hmm. It's really the molds that are created in buildings, warm, enclosed spaces where there isn't, you know, a healthy biome. So if you're out in the rainforest, I do perfectly, I do really well out in the rainforest, not just perfectly well as in I do okay, but I do really well. The rainforest is constantly, you know, mold is growing, mold is decomposing everything and at a faster rate if it's tropical, there's lots of mold out there, but it's in a healthy balance. And there's other, you know, there's also lots of other Healthy things in the air. So it's when you start to enclose things, and you've got dampness in the walls, and you've got really, you know, mold food hidden within the walls. And a certain species can start to grow, like Stachy is the really well-known one, you know. And that's one of the black molds. And you don't want a lot of that, a lot of Stachy growing, and especially out, out of proportion. You know, if you have a couple spores out in the forest, that's totally different than when you have um, a concentrated amount of that inside.
1: Okay. And this is another kind of buzzword that we hear with the healthy microbiome. And there's so much now. People are talking about the microbiome on your skin and inside the walls of your intestines. And I've even tried this home biotic product. What do you think about all of that? Would you explain this to somebody who's perhaps never heard much or just think, oh, I don't know what, I feel fine, you know?
0: Yeah, you know, the biome in the house is a really new idea. And, you know, industrial hygienists that I work with are saying that there's not enough evidence for spraying these. I do use one similar to that called EM1. It's usually used for producing like a healthy compost pile. You can use that also in RV tanks to keep that somewhere where you really do want to keep that's, a, you know, for sure where you want to keep your biome healthier to make sure that something weird doesn't grow in there. So I'm experimenting with it. I guess I would have to say that the science isn't totally in there. There isn't there isn't a harm in spraying that around. But if you do have a you know a colony of black mold growing in your wall, that's not going to fix it, right? That's <laughs> definitely more of a preventative or more of a cross contamination. You know, maybe some species are blowing in from outside, and that kind of helps to balance things. Do you have a sense of like whether that like even if it's like an intuitive sense of whether that's helping?
1: I'm not sure. So what yeah. really did help was well I you know I bought it when I realized that somebody it's a front front loading washer and somebody just the place was probably vacant for a month or something while it was being listed and it was they closed the front loading washer and all of a sudden there was mold in there and so I looked in there uh, and yeah. I was like oh no I'm not going to touch that uh closed it and I said what do I do do I look for the part and do it myself no I'm not going to do it myself called the guy. They cleaned it up. I got that. I asked him if he could use peroxide inside because I had heard that that was one of the only ways to truly kill the mold. And then like, for what it's worth, every time I use the machine now, I just Spray a little of that inside. Okay. Uh, is that a like decent that. approach? I like
0: that use of it. Yeah, because I was thinking more of people just spraying it everywhere. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know. But yeah, when there's specific places like that that tend to go musty, like that, especially front loading washing machines.
1: Yeah, there, there's even a, a product now that I looked into where you can mist your own body to restore the biomes.
0: Yes. I tried that and I have to say I like it. Oh, you like it? I have to say, I really like it. And, and once you become really, really sensitized, you're kind of like the canary in the coal mine. Like you're, you know, you can, people, and I, of course, my clients are usually, not all, some are healthy, but many of them are super, super sensitive. So I'm looking at, and I'm looking at, you know, following groups on Facebook of what's working for like the most sensitive people. So in that way, sometimes I might take evidence from that. It's not the same as a scientific study, but yeah, I can feel the difference that that makes. When you've over scrubbed your skin, there is a difference. You're not as, you know, it, it's not like a life or death thing, but, you know, you don't have that immunity to, to sort of some um, um, fungal things that could be going on there.
1: Sure. What, what is the name of the product that you use? And I'll link that up for everyone as well.
0: Oh, I mean, I've tried... I make my own. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I, tried the, I tried the... You're probably thinking of Mother Dirt. Okay, yes. It's quite expensive. I did think it was good, but I honestly... Put regular probiotics, like the kind that you eat, into a lotion and put it on my
1: skin. Wow. Uh, do you know what, uh, what strain of probiotics you Any,
0: use? Any. Just the cheapest one. It will work. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. You just want one that dissolves really well because otherwise it's a bit weird on your skin, right? But.
1: Okay. If I... Admitted to people right now that I don't use soap every single day. Would you find that gross or would you find that actually intelligent?
0: I used to think it was a bad idea because the skin does detox. A lot of stuff can come out of your sweat, especially as you get healthier. You know, the more healthy you get, the more stuff does come out of your sweat. But you can probably get most of that off with water. Um, And if you're in the ocean a lot, that's a really good thing too. So yeah, I used to think that was a little crazy because you know, I used to just think of the toxins accumulated on me. And now that I see that how balancing the skin's biome actually helps me, I'm no longer, I've changed my stance on that.
1: Okay. And and for people who think we're absolutely crazy right now, who don't feel like (laughs) the canary in the coal mine, and and I can say, I was explaining to you off camera, I'm not particularly Mm -hmm. chemically sensitive, although I do remember in junior high school, I sat next to some guy with a bunch of cologne, you know, kid with the first time spraying his cologne on that he probably got for Christmas. And it just, he just stunk so bad. And I was sneezing and sneezing and sneezing. I had to go home from school because of this guy with the cologne. I mean, I know it was the guy with the cologne. So I'm not going to say that I'm chemically sensitive, but as I started to detox over the last 10 years and, you know, I really only eat organic foods and do all of these things. And even just having a meditation practice and and breathing practice and yoga, you can start to feel your body. You're, you're literally training yourself to pay attention mm-hmm. to these things. So yeah, I'm more sensitive to it as well. I guess a, a different way to explain it would be if you're somebody who only has a drink once in a while and you have... Two or three whiskeys the next day, you might feel pretty bad. But when I was in college, two or three whiskeys like that was a, that was a warm up. Yeah. That was like you know I wouldn't feel anything the next day. I probably wouldn't even have a buzz after that. So that's the type of thing that that's how I would explain the sensitization to people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How would you talk to someone like Is the scientific evidence out there that you should be avoiding? molds and volatile organic compounds, et cetera, that we can get into more.
0: Yes, but I I would rather people go down that getting in tune with yourself route. And you know, that could start with a camping trip and that could start with getting your natural detox. And then so if you're thinking, oh my gosh, am I not supposed to use soap now, just see how do you feel? If you just went to do any kind of workout where you were sweating, do you then feel better if you take a shower? Maybe with soap to get that off, or you know, swimming in the ocean. So, like, getting in tune and getting away from those, you know, the worst offenders of the fabric softeners and the aerosol toxic types of sprays, and you know, like those really the plug in, you know, and the even the maybe the scented laundry detergent. Just getting away from those, and then maybe coming back to them and being like, is this really worth, you know, getting away from? I mean, of course, I think it is, but. You'll start to get in tune with your body. And I've found most people, and I think it's about 25% now of the population in the U.S., does have some kind of sensitivity or reaction to at least some of these items, right? So you will find, usually, and I think it's more than that because I've seen so many healthy people. You know, when I was so sensitive, I had to ask my healthy friends, could you use a scent-free detergent? And most of them went, huh, I like this better.
1: Wow, that's great. Yeah. And, and I, I guess I will comment that I come back from the gym and I don't smell bad, right? So if I if I was one of these people who smelled yeah. terrible, which I used to probably smell bad when I was in college, as I described myself earlier, of course, your body is detoxing and you smell like booze some mornings and all of this. Of course, I'm going to shower and use soap. But if you're to a baseline of health where you're yeah. thinking, okay, maybe I don't need to scrub myself. Yeah, I could I could go on. I was going to talk about the uh, antiseptic that people put on their, their hands.
0: Right. You don't need that. You don't need that. Unless you're stuck on an airplane, you can't, you know. Yes, then I use that. But otherwise, you don't need that. Yeah, <laughs> yes,
1: especially with the coronavirus and all this going going around. But yeah, okay, if we could transition a little because people are probably like, wow, these guys are really into molds. But actually, let's talk about plastics first, if you will, because that's probably
0: yeah,
1: would that be towards the very top of your list as, uh things that people should be avoiding?
0: It's not really. I think it's a really popular topic. It's become really popular in the parenting blogs. But there are a couple of chemicals in plastic that are at the top. So Arlene Bloom is one of the, you know, forefront scientists that I do follow on issues like this. And and my area of expertise is not necessarily to tell people like what you know, the health effects, like I'm helping people to navigate their choices of what would be their level of avoidance. But I do sometimes, you know, suggest which toxins might be worth avoiding more than others. So phthalates, so it's an additive in usually vinyl. It can be in other products, but in, if we're talking about plastics, usually going to see that in vinyl. It's been taken out now of most of almost all vinyl fluorine. Vinyl fluorine has made a major comeback. I'm not a huge... Fan of that trend, so and you know, healthy people also you know have a huge influence in these trends. Like even if you're not super worried about vinyl, because now they've taken out the phthalates, which are one of the worst you know chemicals in there. It helps everybody to move away from these you know just everybody's influence, and it's been happening. And the industry has gotten better and better. There's better and better building products every year, so like it is making a difference people to pay attention and say yeah we really want phthalate free vinyl and also do we need to use vinyl because we've got a lot of alternatives to vinyl flooring now a lot of them that are the same price even so let's make those movements and you know with plastic the other one is so it started with the getting the knowledge of bpa especially in in drinking bottles but then what happened was they were substituted for the bp put another letter after it right (laughs) not a but Mm -hmm. So we have to be careful of substitution and people just getting a little bit too caught up on on the one idea of something. And the same thing happened with flame retardants, which I think are one of the really big toxins to avoid. And luckily that's been now taken out of most polyurethane couches and mattresses. So it's a lot easier to avoid and that's great, but there was a lot of just substitution of another toxic chemical. And, And they know that we all can't keep up with that because. We can't, you know, especially just the general population who's not super sensitive, right?
1: <laughs> no, that's okay. That that's that's great. So f- first things first. Uh, just to close the loop on plastics, right? Yeah. Just opt for uh, what would you tell people to drink out of rather than than plastic if they want to be really safe?
0: Yeah, you know, if you're in your home, I like. I like a whole house carbon and a reverse osmosis under the sink. Keep it simple. If you go to one of those companies that sells you water filters, they're going to try and sell you about $7,000 worth of filters. Probably not what you need, even if you're really concerned about water. So whole house carbon under the sink, reverse osmosis. Now, if you're on the road, you know, if you can afford the glass, the water that comes in glass, go for that. You can also take Bottled water and put it through a Brita filter. A Brita filter is actually quite good. They kind of got like a bad rap for a while of being like, "eh, this is not so useful." But that's a filter that's actually I use. I use a Brita filter. I'll put bottled water through the Brita filter or tap water. Okay. If you can't afford more than that, then go for that.
1: Okay, and just drinking out of glass, right? Send, like I try, if I'm thirsty and I need to buy a bottle of water, I am definitely going to try my very best to buy something out of glass. In and just glass, yeah, and just certainly seems to make a, a whole lot more sense. Yeah. Okay, very good. So so we talked about plastics, and I, I should point out, sustainability-wise, not using these products that are made from petroleum is just better for the environment in general. It seems. Which would, would you agree?
0: Yeah, I mean the production of vinyl is pretty brutal on the environment, even if the vinyl products are getting better and better for our health. And then, you know, if there's the water bottles that are getting thrown out and there's, there's lots of issues there. Yeah.
1: Okay, great. And now we talk about flame retardants. Yeah. If people are looking to to get a, a mattress or a sofa, yeah. in what direction do you point them? Because this can be a whole nother rabbit hole, which I recently went down. But, oh, my God, it can be very overwhelming.
0: Yeah, yeah. Luckily, it's gotten a lot better in the last few years with the big, some of the major companies in the U.S. getting completely away. And that's because the laws changed in California. So, you know, we need those bigger picture things. And that's not what I work on because, you know, I have a lot to work on just on the individual, helping on the individual level. But we need those kinds of shifts so that we can have these options now. So most mattresses, I mean, I have a blog post on, just on flame retardants, uh, you know, naming the companies that have gotten away from it. And then I have a post specifically on sofas and one on mattresses with my top picks. And those go a little further than just no flame retardants. Like I I do find, you know, like if we're talking about kind of priorities, I do think water is a priority, one of the priorities. There's a lot of crap (laughs) in some water. And I do think your bed, is a really big priority. And then getting a couch without flame retardants now isn't too hard. And you can see the brands now on the the blog post on flame retardants that are getting away from that.
1: Okay, great. So you don't have to go with the organic cotton or hemp or, you know, some of these materials. I mean, when you go really high end on some of these Sites, you're talking about $7,000 couches here.
0: Yeah, if you want to go full out and if you can afford it, then do and support those companies. But you know what? Ikea, and not that I'm a you know PR person for Ikea, but Ikea has really led the way and they've taken a hit financially. Not, not a hit because they're still obviously doing really well, but they've, they've done things that cost them money in order to improve their standards. And because it's a worldwide company, they have to hit standards all over the world. And so they've got to hit, you know, the European standards and then the California standards. So IKEA is not a bad option. If you're not, you know, in the super sensitive, if you're budget aware, you know, I'm not that opposed at all to IKEA beds, couches, um, quite a few different items. Okay,
1: that's great. And then tell me about used yeah used anything right maybe it's still illegal to buy a used mattress i'm not i'm not (laughs) sure at least i'm i'm originally from new york so i'm sure it was there with the bed bug situation but if you're talking about okay i could buy the seven thousand dollar couch or for one thousand dollars i might have a, a couch that perhaps has already off off gas what do you think about that approach
0: yeah so i would really with the avoiding flame retardants idea and and the thing to know about flame retardants is they're a major quite a major percentage of the foam and they continue to come out forever and some of them were were really bad and you'd have to look at the years so it was around 2015 that the major companies started taking them out so looking at something used from before that and of course it depends like how far back you're going But I'd be really cautious with used polyurethane items, which would be used couches and many used beds and maybe even kids stuff like car seats. I don't know how long those last, but anything that has polyurethane foam, the squishy type of foam. So even the nursing pillows and things like that. I do think, you know, getting away from the the really toxic flame retardants was has been really important. So with other used things, you know, like a, a solid wood antique furniture, that'll be fine.
1: Yeah, okay. So an antique couch, perhaps, mm-hmm. right? It probably wasn't treated with flame retardants or something you said after 2015. Mm-hmm. And does it matter higher ends, the better? Or these, it just matters about what the company is putting in them?
0: Yeah, because it was the law for so long that, you know, for a while they all had to com- conform to the law. And now it's, yeah, it's still not necessarily by by price. The higher end couches are going all out with the glues and the fabrics and not having, you know, these stain resistant coatings, which are actually not so great. You know, so if you want to go to that level, do if you can afford it. But then, you know, in terms of some of the bigger toxins like flame retardants, it doesn't go by my price range anymore.
1: Okay. So to to throw another buzzword out there with these VOCs, the volatile organic compounds is which what you're just talking about there that are Yeah. Well before I get hung up on on the question are flame retardants actual VOCs? If somebody hears, oh low VOC, low VOC, because there's so much greenwashing out there where every deodorant said that it says now that it's low in uh, what did you say before? Parabens, I think, right? Oh, or yeah, shampoos. Yeah. So you don't know who to believe, right? Like these are all, they just put it like everything is gluten-free these days.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: and unless it's not. So, but what about VOCs? How can people protect themselves and, and actually understand the topic or what do people need to know?
0: I think I would start with saying. It's hard not to sort of get caught up on on sort of the idea of like formaldehyde. Like a lot of people, you know, obviously know about formaldehyde and they want formaldehyde free, but formaldehyde now, again, with new laws in California, we've moved almost entirely away from urea formaldehyde, the most harmful type to phenol formaldehyde, which off-gasses quite quickly and at much lower amounts. So if you're healthy... I'm honestly not concerned about formaldehyde in almost all building products right now. And that, you know, I'm building products, I mean, like renovation of your kitchen, your kitchen cabinets, engineered wood flooring, even laminate flooring. So the bigger picture of, you know, total VOCs, and it's hard to sort of distill it down. You know, you want, you do want to know the total VOC count and not just like, oh, does it have... Because what did they substitute that with? Right. So there have been, again, another, a lot of substitutions in glues, and that hasn't always gone well. And kind of like Arlene Bloom said, she said when she looks at a bottle and it says BPA free, she's like, that's a huge sign that there's a different BPA in there.
1: Oh, wow. Or
0: so there's a different, you know, BP that something. Same yeah. Substitute in there. So, you know, like you said, it's better to go with the glass than to kind of get stuck in the hype. And unfortunately, companies are not always very forthcoming. So I do like to look at total VOCs. It's probably only going to be a major issue when you're buying an absolutely brand new house or condo. You may want to test the levels. That's you need someone to come in with a really good meter because the meters are thousands of dollars. It's not super easy to do it yourself, but you might want to know the total VOC count there because you're going to have the first few years of sometimes pretty heavy off and depending on the building, some are built better than others. And then with individual products, I really like Green Guard Gold. Okay. It's become really popular, luckily, now. Um, it's a really good level for healthy people because it's a really just like, you know, and it doesn't cover, and like you're saying, it doesn't cover flame retardants. It doesn't cover metals. It doesn't cover phthalates. So those are just some things to keep in mind, but it does give you just a really good idea of of, of how low, that, that does have really low VOCs. And there's lots of green Gold products in so many categories. So it's, it's a really helpful one.
1: Great, because people can be very overwhelmed when they're like, ah, oh, I just needed a piece of furniture. I didn't want to search, have to search out like I found for a bed, right? We, so we came from Costa Rica with nothing. So we needed yeah. to buy everything and start from scratch, which was a great opportunity. But of course I found some... Virginia hardwoods that were made with all, you know, I don't even think there's a nail in the entire bed. It all fits together, and it's yeah. all wood, and and even if it is stained, it's you know, it doesn't off gas, etc. They they're very very particular, but it was very difficult to find this company. But now with this Green Guard Gold. Mm-hmm. I think Williamson Sonoma, or at least Pottery Barn, definitely has stuff that that has this. It's a certification that people can look for. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, it's a third party certification, and it's a it's a good one. You know, sometimes companies make up their own certification, mm-hmm. uh, or an industry does. Um, and those are not as helpful, but <laughs> this is a good one to remember.
1: Okay, no, that's that's helpful, and of course, I encourage people as much as they can. Is find that little company that does that's making already down trees into amazing pieces of furniture and could use your your help but it takes time and effort to find these things and again I can I can link up this little company in Virginia as well in in the show notes but yeah if you must go to a big corporation like Williams and Sonoma mm-hmm. that owns Pottery Barn and god knows what else hey at least there's a certification system out there
0: yeah and we want to push those big companies towards going greener because that's where the impact is really made. And most most people probably can't afford like a seven thousand dollar couch. So,
1: yeah, that's really important. And we wanted to before we began this episode, we we talked about how we can keep this very consumer friendly for people.
0: Yeah, hopefully, it's staying that way.
1: <laughs> exactly. Okay. So you made an excellent point about. When you buy a new house or a new sofa or a new whatever, that's when it's off-gassing all of these chemicals. So that is really key. I've thought about this with cars, and you have a great article on your website about cars that I will, uh, again, link to. But what would you tell people if they're trying to keep the chemicals down?
0: Yeah, I wrote a really detailed... <laughs> I went really into depth on new cars. I do think there are reasons to buy new cars and people are going to have different reasons to buy a, new, a brand new car. And you know what? It really is just the first six months of getting heat and air. And of course, if you're really sensitive, you can add a HEPA filter in the back seat, or you can add a little mini one that's more near the front. You know, so there's a lot of different things you can do. And you always want to go to the degree... To so the degree that you need for your... So heat and air really is, is the answer. If you could buy it in the summer, that's better. <laughs> so, that, uh-huh. so that you can you can heat and air it somewhere, you know, with a, hopefully you, you, you live somewhere safe enough where you can leave the windows down sometimes. So you always want to go to the degree that, you know, your body needs if you do have some, you know, immunocompromised or if you have any kind of chronic illness you want to go further or just... Kind of figuring out where you want to make the priorities, right? Because there's some unavoidable things in cars <laughs> we cannot get away from. Sure. So, you know, the last study that looked at cars was 2012, which which is getting a little old because things, products and chemicals are changing quite fast. But, you know, in that study, Hondas were the best. A lot of people who are really sensitive, were the Canaries do like Hondas. It doesn't mean you just have to go out and get a Honda. but if that's something you want to look at, um, that could be a, a little bit of a hint.
1: Okay. No, that's great. And I will say that I tried to make the best financial decision and also mm-hmm. a pre off gas. <laughs> I'll call it a, a I got a certified pre owned, but it's, uh, I guess, certified pre off gas as well, yeah. right? So somebody else got to take the hit on depreciation and sit in it while it, um, well, it spewed off all of those chemicals. Is there a sweet spot, right? I bought a pretty new car, but is there a sweet spot? Like you said, well, maybe don't look at a uh, sofa that was built before 2012. Yeah. Did anything like that happen along the way with cars?
0: Yeah, they've take, most of them have taken out vinyl in the last few years. You know, unfortunately, flame retardants are still there newer is better because they've all sort of made changes away from heavy metals and maybe improving the type of flame retardant. And then for off-gassing, six months to a year is really reasonable. So I don't know if you can find a six-month-old, you know, there's often one-year-old cars. That's not too hard to find usually because people do trade them in after a year sometimes. So I would probably go a year old.
1: Okay, great. That's excellent advice. So people have a range on what to look for. Um, Okay, Moving on from cars, if you want to keep your house, you know, the air within your house clean. You know, some of these studies, I've probably read this on your website, say that the air inside your home is dirtier than the air outside. uh, A, would you say, do you find that to be true? And B, how can you clean up the air inside your house?
0: Yeah, so yeah, it's true. So one of the biggest things, and this, I'll try not to make too many caveats. You want to get fresh air into your house. Okay. So you're in Texas, right? Yes. Pretty humid. Yes. A little bit more difficult. You would have to get an air exchanger. So they have ERVs and HRVs and just don't get too complicated. Think of it as an air (laughs) exchanger. It's bringing air in, it's moving air out. If you're in a climate like me in Vancouver, Canada, where it's not hot and humid, it's winter. I've got my balcony door open this much because fresh mm-hmm. air, and especially if you you know, you know, don't, of course I'm spending more money, my electricity bill's going up because I've got the balcony door open. Sure. But, um, in many climates, you can do that without having to spend a lot on heat, but fresh air is the main thing. So you can use an air exchanger, you can simply open the door. Now, if it's really cold or really humid, do a flush in the morning. So, take your the vent hood above the stove. Hopefully, it's venting out. If it's not venting out, you have another problem on your hands. So, put that <laughs> on. Put the bathroom exhaust fans on. Those are probably the main exhaust fans you're going to have. So, put those on. Open it and just let everything move through for like ten minutes or until you're freezing cold or too hot or whatever <laughs> is happening. Flush the air every morning, that's the cheapest air purifier that you can have and just as effective. So if you have to close up, um, if that's just not going to work for your schedule or it's really just too humid and every time you do that, the humidity spikes. And so you got to keep a little, and they're really cheap and I'm not like, you know, promoting this brand necessarily. It's just like super cheap. My humidity is super low, 10%. It's actually not great because wood starts to crack, but, um, you know, you want to keep it around 50 Um, like 40 in the winter and 60, like if you're in anywhere from Texas to Florida, maybe 60 in the summer, because just because it's harder to keep it lower than that. So we'd be like, okay, maybe 60. So watch your humidity. So if you can't do that, or if you need to close up, or if you've got forest fires going on, you want to close up. And when you're closed up, you want to generally keep off those fans, unless those fans have some kind of system where they As they're bringing air out, they're bringing air in. If you live in some kind of fancy house, you probably have some kind of system there. But let's say you're all closed up. Um, Then I do like a basic HEPA filter. If you have off-gassing, you're adding carbon. So don't overcomplicate it. There's so many brands they are making so many claims. A lot of them are just frankly not true at all. So you want HEPA if you've got off-gassing of VOCs you want add the carbon it could be zeolite or it could be other things but you want the basically hepa and carbon and you want it to have a fan that's big enough to actually move the air through the hepa and the carbon that's all you need big enough fan hepa carbon and put it in the middle of your room not in the corner because it's not moving air in the corner of the room
1: oh good point okay (laughs) i'm gonna have to make a little adjustment of course everybody wants to put it out of the way
0: yeah (laughs) And when you have your window open, there's not much point in running the filter. You can't really filter the air while you're bringing in air. You're not making much of a dent. So do one or the other. Like when when it's too cold or too humid or whatever, close the windows, put the air purifier on.
1: Okay. And you talk about these claims. So many of these companies now, there's like the Air Doctor uh-huh. and they're ones that are even supposed to be even better.
0: They're driving me nuts. And I'm not saying like Air Doctor in particular. I just They're just all driving me nuts. Um, I think people have an idea that there's like some oversight on what they say. There hardly, hardly is, unless it's a huge, huge brand and somebody reports it and they actually go under investigation, they can say anything. They're making up science claims that aren't even like, not even possible in the realm of any kind of science that we know of. So
1: oh, geez.
0: they're just all over the place, but there's a few really good brands. To trust like i do have a post i actually have two separate posts because one is just for the hepa carbon and you only need the carbon if you have off gassing and sometimes there's this idea that more expensive is better mm-hmm. but really like there's a lot of hepas that aren't that expensive And then I have a second post, which is on the PCO technology, which I think is an interesting new one for mold. And you probably know the brand Molecule as the best known one.
1: I get the Instagram ads all the time.
0: (laughs) You've probably seen it. And I've been
1: thinking about it, but it's 10 times the price, right, of a HEPA filter.
0: They're really expensive. Yeah. So they do something different and they actually break down. They break down many things, but I'm most interested in how they break down molds. So that those are t- I have two different posts because I think they're quite different technologies. I tend to just simplify it to say PCO for mold, carbon for off-gassing, HEPA for general particulates.
1: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better because I'm still with my $80 HEPA and every time I get served an ad for an $800 yeah. molecule, I'm like... <laughs> It's like, might as well, the ad might as well say, do you care about your family? Do you, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like there's, there can be a lot of fear mongering and and I'm not saying that's what molecules says. They probably wouldn't appreciate me saying that, but (laughs) um, okay, this is good cheese. The time flies. I could of course talk to you all day about this stuff, but other things that people may be bringing into their home I don't think we have talked a little bit about cleaning products, but just kitchen and bathroom, I think can be two huge sources for people. So I'd love if you could break down both of those topics for us. And, you know, some of those might be cleaning products as well. But uh, before we wrap up, I do want to ask you about your, your advice for uh, keeping your, your kitchen and your bathroom uh, as low chemical as possible.
0: Yeah. So are you thinking also renovations or just?
1: Not so much renovations. I know that is your, uh, that's definitely your expertise, but I think to the person listening, their everyday decisions are going to be a lot more about, hey, what am I cleaning with? And, you know, there's just so many chemicals in both kitchen and bathroom products uh, or Teflon pans, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what's the low hanging fruit before people have to renovate?
0: So going back to water, especially drinking and cooking with really good water and if you can, showering. I would be avoiding cooking with anything that leaches um like the this nonstick, I'd definitely stay away from that. That's a big one for me. But also leaching, you know, aluminum, copper, I'm not uh, heavy metals are um burden on the body and difficult to reverse out of. If you breathe in a little formaldehyde, you're going to metabolize that quickly, or I don't know if metabolize is the right word. You're going to process it quickly. But metals are metals are a more difficult toxin. So we're removing um, anything that leaches aluminum, or I guess those would be the kind of the big ones. Some older plates, like some antique plates, do contain lead. And don't do this like all in one day, but like you know, take your time and be like go through and and look at what might be in your kitchen in terms of older items that might contain lead or might be leaching metals. So there's the metals, there's the nonstick, there's the water. Um, you should be using the exhaust fan in the kitchen and bathroom, you know, when you're cooking and after you shower for like 20 minutes because that, that's just make sure it also works like it's actually going out. Make sure it's not venting into your attic, it's actually going out. It needs to go out. If it's venting into your attic, really big problem. Right. So, cleaning products, I think is honestly really simple. I think it's one of those marketing things where they've sold you like 10 different products that are sometimes actually almost the same product in a, in a brand. Mm-hmm. And like, This one's for the kitchen, this one's for the bathroom, this one's for the floor. Jeez. <laughs> it's the same product. <laughs> you know, I like a non-toxic dish soap, if you want to go with 7th Generation or Ecos. And that can, that's a really an all-purpose cleaner. Like that could be used on your countertops, anything that's kind of easy to clean that you don't need, like a scrubber, that can be used on your floors. And then you really only need a couple other things. I like the magic erasers. I actually think don't not around food.
1: Oh, what what is the magic eraser? I don't know if that.
0: You don't know the magic eraser. I don't think so. Okay. I forgot the brand that even makes it. I just thought everyone knew there those little white um melamine plastic sponges. They're quite non-toxic. You don't want to be eating it, though. So, if you need to scrub something down, or the the only other thing you need there is like the uh, scrubber for the toilet or the tub, which I like Bonami, Bonami or Bar Keeper's Friend. And that's it. I don't have I don't have more than what is that three cleaning products?
1: No, that's that's really good. Bar Keeper's Friend. That's that's good to know.
0: Yeah, it's always
1: nice to know that your old school. Cleaning products actually are appropriate. You know what I mean? Like that—that yeah, that yeah. was a staple in my house growing up. So oh, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad my parents got that one right. So
0: yeah,
1: that's actually. What about little things of? It's called uh, baking soda. There baking we go. Soda, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. What do you think of putting those around? Like you know, people have them under their sink, under the in their fridge. Does that help absorb the moisture? Actually.
0: Oh, it's more for odors. Mm. It's more for odors, sure. If it's making a difference, you can do it. Yeah, if you've got high humidity, I'd also take a cheap humidity meter and check um, different rooms. And you definitely the bathroom is going to be one that you check. So, you know, after the period of the shower, after it's gone back to normal, check the humidity. Because if it's a lot higher in there, even well after the shower, that's probably indicating wetness possibly getting behind the tiles and not drying out properly. So one of your major indicators is taking a humidity meter and you can use the same cheap one to each room. Just give it like 10 minutes because sometimes they need to adjust uh, five minutes or so. And if there's a room that's really off and there's no clear reason, something's going on there. That's trying to there's a leak or something behind something that's trying to dry inside and it's raising the humidity.
1: Okay. Excellent. And uh, in that case, probably start with your plumber to get the leak fixed. But then if if there's mold inside, geez, what would you tell people would be the next step?
0: I don't advise too much on mold remediation. I'll just say the very basics are putting things under containment when you do open things. And you can I have opened things, getting things dried out. So if you do actually have a leak, like let's say your dishwasher, something obvious, your your washing machine actually floods. The only thing you really need to do there is dry it out as quickly as possible. And you can do things yourself. If it's gone down behind something, you can open things up yourself. You just want to dry things out within ideally 24 hours. They stay up to 72 hours, ideally 24 hours. (laughs) Try and dry it, bring in fans, bring in heaters, bring in whatever you need to do. And you can you can fix most things that way, if you find the leak. Um, if it gone if it's gone further than that, you're going to make sure that they put it under proper containment so that the spores don't go everywhere. And and that's one of the major things that's important to know.
1: Okay. Well, uh, my goodness, we've covered a lot in I know. a
0: whole <laughs> overwhelming amount. I don't know. I hope not.
1: <laughs> we said we'd keep it very consumer friendly, and I think we honestly, I think we did. I don't think we dove too deep into the science of all of this. I took notes. Usually I don't take crazy <laughs> notes during a podcast because here I, I at one point I knocked my computer off my desk. I was so excited. Uh, but we covered everything from mold, plastics, to flame retardants, cars, mm-hmm. things you can do in your home, your air quality, kitchens and bathrooms, cleaning products. Uh, again, I'm going to link up all of this on my blog at mattwilson.co. Uh, but if people have Questions for you. I know that you do consulting about this stuff,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: after you've heard how complex it can be, it's probably not a bad idea. Uh, and also, if you could direct people where the best place to get involved uh, with what you do is, of course, you have your blog, mm-hmm. your chemical free home blog, but would you list the URL for everybody and how they can yeah. keep in touch?
0: My Chemical Free House, you can put net, you can put .com, you can put .ca. It's all going to get you there. So My Chemical Free House will get you there. And yeah, the consults start at 15-minute consults because some people have a short question. Phone consults are good for working through the pros and cons because there isn't always an obvious answer. Everybody has their degree of how far they want to go, their priorities. If Like we were saying, we chatted just before, the call. If you have kids, like scientifically, like your priorities will be different with toxins in terms of what's going to affect kids' development. If you're old and you're healthy, <laughs> you're still healthy and you're quite old, you probably have different priorities than for someone that has a baby that's going to be developing and and taking in certain toxins at, um, and accumulating them like more in a way too. So.
1: No, that's, that's great. Uh, you know, trying to get my 92 year old grandmother to change, she's, you know, she doesn't even believe in the, or she thinks organics are a sham, right? So
0: the other thing I've seen is that like, if you're, if you're older and you are sick from any illness, that's toxin has a toxin base, like people turn around, like at that age, like, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not, you know, going to make health claims, but like, just the people I've watched over the last 10 years in the community of like it's not like oh, it was too late to like start avoiding mold or it's not too late to like start avoiding some of those really big toxins.
1: Well, that is fantastic as as well. Yeah, that that gives me a lot of hope. So, grandmothers, there's still time.
0: <laughs> They're turning around. They've they've gotten out of moldy houses. They've gotten a trailer, gone to Arizona or New Mexico somewhere, you know, with good outdoor air and they've turned around.
1: No, that, that's excellent. Actually, I'll ask you one more question, even though we even wrapped up, but that's just so interesting to me. So I own a, a travel company, which is why I spent so yeah. much time in Costa Rica and all over. But places uh, within the United States, you just mentioned Arizona, I imagine as dry as a bone, but what would you say was the most healthy place in the United States?
0: The United States has honestly done a lot of damage to the environment. I would go to the Caribbean. I mm. had a chance to go to the Caribbean, including Costa Rica. I had a full remission in Costa Rica and I still have chronic fatigue syndrome. And I had chronic fatigue syndrome when I went there, not knowing it was a toxin based illness, not knowing why I had a complete remission. So that's a plug for Costa Rica. I'm not sure wow. if people there now or not, but yeah, a lot of us are going to the Caribbean for healing, but New Mexico and, and those kind of places have, have, there are excellent places everywhere. You might just have to go more out of your way. Like if you're going to go camping, um, you can try when it warms up around Taos. You can try Mount Charleston, which is just outside of Vegas. That's, so you don't have to go too out of your way. Those are two really good outdoor air places to go.
1: Well, that's excellent. I shared with you earlier that I had so much mold when I was living in Costa Rica, but I didn't really see, it didn't really seem to affect me. It was just more like... God's growing in my closet. This seems really bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if it's part of the natural microbiome and everything is balanced, well, that's that sounds like great news. So yeah, thank you so much for for sharing all of your wisdom.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. It's fun.
1: Again, uh, I'll link up everything in the show notes, but mychemicalfreehouse.com will get you some more. So yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thanks, Matt.